everyone has a story. What's yours? Katie. And this is Monumental, a small show about the big things God does in the lives of ordinary people. For the next eight weeks, we'll be sitting down with a different woman each episode to talk about a turning point in their lives, a place where God did something big, something they'll want to tell their kids and their grandkids, something, well, monumental. This week, Katie, we're talking to you. What do we need to know before we get started? I don't think much. I had a pretty normal life until the story you're about to hear. I was a pastor's kid and the third of five, and, well, I think the rest is in the story. Let's dig in, then. When I was 14, I started having back pain. Ended up being diagnosed with scoliosis, so my spine was curved like a C-shape and twisted, deforming my rib cage a little bit. And then just as I grew throughout high school, it got the curve got worse and the pain got worse. And by the time of my senior year, my doctor told me I probably just needed to have corrective surgery to straighten my spine because um, I'd done lots of physical therapy and swimming and exercises, and my muscles weren't strong enough to hold my hold me up anymore. Okay, so, so all the way from 14 to 18, yep. the idea was maybe you could halt the yeah bad progress. Or yeah, thought I could it some way. Right, thought I could do exercises to strengthen my muscles to hold me up, and mm-hmm. yeah, maybe. I mean, you don't know if the curve is going to get worse. Though I say it could get worse, but we just watched it, and it did get worse, but. It really ended up being a matter of just my, I just didn't have the muscle strength to hold myself up. So by the end of the day, I was leaning over to my left side and Mm -hmm. just like completely worn out and in a lot of pain. And so we decided it was the best thing to have the surgery to, to straighten my spine. So when I graduated from high school, I had scoliosis corrective surgery and they decided to do a new, a fairly new procedure that was supposed to be less invasive. So they always did the surgery where they went in through your back, you know, cut your back open, and they could see your spine straight on to put the rods in, screw the rods into your spine to straighten it up. Okay, wait, just to, yeah, just for some context, was this surgery, I mean, how many decades had this surgery been being done? Oh, they had done this surgery for a long time. I know there was a lady who was probably in her 50s at the time who had had it when she was a teenager. Okay. So it it had been a number of decades, and it used okay. to be that they always put you in a brace after the surgery, and you would be in the hospital for weeks on end. And but it had improved where like they weren't putting everybody in a brace after the surgery, and you're out of the hospital within a few days, kind of thing. Oh, okay. So it was supposed to be relatively simple. Well, yeah. I mean, they say Not- it's it's a year long recovery. Okay. Really painful. Okay. I mean, they, they had said that this is like one of the most painful surgeries you can have because anything bone related is extremely painful. So but they were going to do, they had come up with even a newer way of doing the surgery so that you didn't have to cut through the back muscle because healing through cut muscle is really hard, really painful and long. And so there was this new surgery where they were able to go in through your rib cage. They drilled holes through my ribs. 
they put the rods in through my rib cage and then they took the bone that they had taken out, drilled out of my rib cage and used that to place into my spine to create fusion for the rods and the screws to hold into my spine. Okay, because it's your own it's your own bone, so it's gonna Yeah, they take out the disc. Okay. So they removed I think eight discs and screwed in like eleven inch rods, two rods, sixteen screws into my spine to straighten it and untwist it. And then yeah, and then so when they remove disc, they take bone from your body grind it up into a paste, put it where the disc was removed, and that grows into bone over the course of the next year, and that holds the rod and the screws in. I was in surgery for 10 hours, and I was in the recovery room for 19 hours, and it turned out he really struggled to get all of the disc out. This is sort of jumping ahead in the story because we didn't actually find this out for about three years, but he didn't wasn't able to remove all of the disc, and in order for fusion to take place in the spine, you have to get all of the disc out. And he wasn't able to get it all out, so my spine didn't fuse. So, did he know? Did he know that he had botched the surgery? Well, <laughs> he wouldn't admit if he knew. He said I had fused beautifully, my spine looked great, the surgery went wonderful, mm. and he wouldn't help us figure out why I was in pain either. He said, with rods in your spine, you can't have x-rays or, well, you can have x-rays. You can't have MRIs or other testing because the rods would distort the image Mm -hmm. and stuff. You wouldn't be able to see it. And he looked at the x-rays and said, I had fused. Everything was fine. He didn't know I was in pain because what happened was after a year and a half, my pain didn't 100% go away. And then it started coming back and getting worse and worse and worse. And so over the course of three years from having that first surgery, I was in extreme pain and didn't know why. And he sent me to a pain management doctor and just said, let her help you. And she said, I don't know why you're in pain. You're going to be in pain for the rest of your life. So here's some pain medication Mm -hmm. and just prescribed narcotics for me. And I was on high level narcotic pain medication. So that was from ages 18 to 21? 19. I was 19 when I had the surgery. And so I guess I would have been 23. Yeah, I was 23 when I had the next So I went from doctor to doctor to doctor trying to figure out why I was in pain and nobody knew. Everybody thought I fused. So finally, my mom, who's like a superhero and does, you know, tons of research and was like, Katie, or when you're in pain, that's the body's way of telling you something's not right. And so we're going to keep looking until we figure out what it is. Yeah. I mean, I imagine aside from, from wrestling with the pain itself, which is very real, I imagine you must have been wrestling with fear just constantly of like, you don't know what the problem is. And is, am I going to be in excruciating pain for the rest of my life? Oh man, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, lots of, I I did had, I had to process that and think I, because this went on for a long, long time, many years, I had lots of moments of thinking like, what's the point? Because I, I had lots of periods where I couldn't work, I couldn't live on my own. I had at some point moved out and was living in an apartment. I ended up moving home because I couldn't clean, I couldn't shop and cook, and I couldn't take care of myself. I yeah. just And I was depressed and just I had quit school mm-hmm. and was backing way off on my work hours. I had lots of these moments of like, and doctors telling me this is going to be your life. Right. You just have to manage it because right. there's, there's nothing wrong <laughs> just with Just cover it up with pain medication. Yeah. Which I also knew would kill me eventually because those things are incredibly strong. And I was a tiny person. And there were like lots of times where I literally just felt like so weak, so shaky. And I just thought my body's dying. That's how I felt. I feel Mm -hmm. like my body's like 
slowly dying. Mm -hmm. And that was only after a few years. So I'm thinking, was it going to be like, you know, even a few more years down the road? Yeah. And of just, you know, embracing a life of, Mm -hmm. of, of needing narcotics constantly is just, it's very scary. Yeah. And it just pretty much controls your life because they gave me nightmares. You just walk around in this constant, like, sedated foggy state almost like you're on drugs or something right yeah (laughs) yeah something like that so yeah i had these thoughts of what's god's purpose for my life what's the point Mm -hmm. if i can't do anything and so then i started thinking well what is man's purpose what is god's purpose for man and it's you know we know the that first catechism question what is the chief in a man to glorify god and enjoy him forever and so i thought well if God's purpose for my life is to glorify him, then how do I do that? If all I can do is, you know, lay on a couch and just keep living, I can pray. I still have my mind, so I could pray. And the other thing I thought is I can just keep having faith and trust God, even though I don't understand. Because I could, you know, if people look at me and see what I'm going through and see that I trust God and I believe him and I'm not going to be shaken in my faith, then that gives glory to God and it's a testimony to other believers, hopefully. Anyway, so my mom found, she decided to look up the doctor who invented the surgery that I'd had through the rib cage, and he was out in California. And so she wrote him and he agreed to see me. Mm. So I flew out to California with my parents and within like 10 minutes, he knew that my spine had not fused. So what you're telling me is you walked around with a broken back for three, over three years. Yeah. Yeah. And he could see on the x-rays, these halos around where the screws were mm-hmm. showing that the screws were loosening mm-hmm. out of my spine. Oh my yeah. Goodness. That explained the pain. <laughs> yeah. He said, well, we have to redo this surgery. We've got to get that fusion to work so he said i'll do the surgery and we got to just we got to go in through your back this time so we can see your spine straight on and so we flew out to california and he did the surgery and went through my back and i mean my first surgery was incredibly painful but i mean the second one just like blew it the first one out of the water Mm -hmm. and i was in so much pain i literally like thought i was losing my mind there was one time in particular where i i um was laying in the hospital bed there and i i like thought i could actually like see this line where on one side you know like on the right side was the hospital room and my family an elder and his wife from my church had come to be with us and there they were on the other side of the line the left side of the room it was just pitch black and i laid there and i thought if i decide to quit fighting this pain I'm going to go into that blackness mm-hmm. and I don't know if I'll come back. Mm-hmm. And I was so weak and tired. I, I wanted to give up fighting. Yeah. It's such a mental and emotional thing to fight pain. I mean, you have to be engaged in it. You don't have a choice because it's there. So here the elder's wife from my church was sitting next to me. And I just remember she was calling my name and saying, Katie, we can do this keep fighting. I'm here for you. You can do this. And I don't know. She just like helped walk me through it. She was like, take a deep breath. And now, okay, slowly let it out. Good job. Take another deep breath and slowly let it out. And we're going to fight through this together. And it was like, she came along and she took my hand and she, she literally engaged in the fight with me and, and helped me. Eventually I fell asleep. And then I remember waking up 
and the elder from my church was sitting on my left side where I had seen this blackness, you know, and he was reading from Romans 8 that said, um, what shall separate us from the love of God shall trial or, I don't know, it was just really neat. And I think this is why we have to go back and remember because when we're there, when we're in that valley or wilderness or whatever it is, we may not be recognizing everything God's doing, you know, oh, yeah. you know? Well, and I think, too, that when we think back on those very, very dark periods in Mm -hmm. our life, if we think back on it and think, I was there once, I might end up there again, Mm -hmm. you know? Yep. And And that's the fear. You think that could happen again. I could be in that much pain. (laughs) I could be in that much darkness. And, And instead of thinking, if that ever happens again, I will have the memory and the experience of knowing right. that God brought me through, mm-hmm. instead of thinking about it that way, we, we end up just thinking, I know that valley exists. I I've can't been do there it again. Exactly. Kind of like, yes. what if I end up there again? And you that, know? yes. And that was, that was a huge fear for me. I actually had nightmares about being told I was going to have to go through surgery again. Oh, yeah. So I came through that second surgery and spent the next many months trying to get off the pain medication and not being able to. I I came down on it some, but ended up going back to California and seeing this doctor again. And he did a test that showed that the rods were irritating my spine. And he said, I needed to have a third surgery to remove those rods. And the experience, you know, the procedure to determine that was I had to go in and I laid down my stomach on this table and it was an injection procedure. They were going to do four injections on either side of my back, either side of my spine. It was to somehow determine if the rods were irritating the spine. And so they sedate you enough that you can't jump off the table kind of thing, but not enough that you fall asleep because they want you awake to tell you when they've hit the painful spots. And so it was, uh, it felt like being tortured. (laughs) And I came out of that. And then, you know, so he finished and then he said, okay, well, it was successful in telling us what we needed to know that these rods are irritating your spine and you're going to need to have a surgery to get them removed. And I just remember sitting in the wheelchair, you know, waiting for whatever to get out of there and just like tears just streaming down my face and just feeling so completely traumatized. And I went back to the hotel room with my mom and my good friend who had come to be with us too. And I just laid on the hotel bed and just cried for three hours straight. And I called my dad and he said, you know, it's not wrong to be afraid. And he told me the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and talked about how afraid Jesus was of the crucifixion and all that was coming for him and how he was so afraid he was sweating drops of blood. But he said, but you know what? If this is what God has called you to, he will give you the grace to go through it again. Mm -hmm. And talked about Jesus's prayer, not my will, but your will be done. Did you ever just struggle with anger when people told you God will give you the grace? And You know, I think it was actually, it was really a grace of God that I was so hungry for people to tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. I was so hungry for people to remind me of God's promises and that God was my strength. The time I remember most clearly of being angry at something someone said to me 
is when somebody was angry at God for me. Oh. And this person was like, I don't know why God is taking you through all of this. You are too young to be suffering this much. Mm-hmm. And they, I could tell they were, re- they were angry at God. Yeah. And I walked away from that so discouraged yeah. and so offended, <laughs> yeah. you know, that somebody, holiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that somebody that, that they weren't going to, it was going to happen. You know, right. I ha- I was going to go through a third surgery. The right. reality was before me because it's not like I didn't struggle. You know, right. I mean, there was with questioning God's goodness. I'm oh, sure. yeah. I mean, this is another thing. Like over the years of this struggle, there were times certainly where I was really close to the Lord because sometimes God really does that suffering yeah. where he just oh, draws yeah. he so near. But there were other times where I just felt so far away from God. Mm-hmm. I mean, to a point where I really started questioning if God even exists. Mm-hmm. You know, so first it started where I just don't feel close to God. You know, I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, I'm doing the right things, but I don't feel like he's there. Then it started to become like, well, maybe God's forgotten about me, you know, like he put me in this pain and I'm just lying here in bed every day mm-hmm. and he's got the rest of the world he's busy with, you know, he's just forgotten about me. And then it started to turn into, well, maybe he doesn't even exist. I was ashamed of those thoughts. Yeah. yeah so I, I did finally break down and went and told my dad what I was struggling with. And he said, we are emotional people. <laughs> And if our faith was based on our emotions, how rocky would that be? Because yeah. our emotions are up and down and here and there. And But he said, you know, the promises of God are, I will never leave you or forsake you. Our faith is to be grounded on who God is and on his promises. And so you need to claim the promise God has given you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, even when you don't feel like he's there. So start praying God's promises. Yeah. And so that's what I started doing. I would lie in my bed and I would say, okay, Lord, I, I don't feel like you're there, but I know you are. Please help me. Please be with me and give me your strength. Uh, okay. So I had the third surgery. I had that one in Indianapolis. He found me a doctor in Indy, so I didn't have to travel all the way to California that time. And thankfully that one wasn't, it wasn't as painful. They went in through my back again. They removed two of the four rods that I had in my back. Oh, and the fusion worked from the second surgery, by the way. Okay. So my spine was in good shape that way it it really became about I mean I recovered from that surgery but then the biggest struggle after the third surgery was coming off of the pain medication because I've been on this narcotic pain medication for like five years now the stuff is like incredibly addictive my body had built a dependency Mm -hmm. uh, on it and so I would wean off I mean a teeny tiny little bit at a time Mm -hmm. and it would put me flat on my back for two solid days of maybe three of of literally like on my back not have the strength to get up so if I had to go to the bathroom or something my parents would get on either side of me and lift me off the ground and walk me into the bathroom and horrifying nightmares and even just like closing my eyes I'm not going to sleep these big crazy images and I kept thinking I just want to go take more medicine and again it's just like there's no other way I can say it is just God's grace that I did not give in to drug addiction. I mean, it's just God's grace. That's it. Because I I wanted it. You know, I wanted the drugs. I thought about the drugs. There were different times where if I was out, I was thinking, when I get home, I'm taking another one, even though I'm not supposed to take one yet. Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, I got home. I didn't, you know, <laughs> just so then there was 
a night where my mom and I had been out and I just was so just so much aggravation inside of me just feeling so frustrated not at anybody you know anger and frustration and knots in my stomach and I used to do this thing where I just take my fist and I would just pound on my stomach because I had these knots in my stomach which Mm -hmm. was just with drug withdrawal that I was going through yeah depression and irritability and so when we got home I went into my bedroom and I closed the door and I turned out the light and I laid on the floor and I grabbed on to my hair and I just pulled on my hair from the roots I thought I want to pray but I do not know what to pray right now I just do not know how to pray and I wanted to cry but I no tears would come to my eye. I just I was just so aggravated and so then I thought of um the Romans 8 passage that talks about God interceding for us and praying on our behalf when we don't have the words to pray and how he groans for us. And and I thought of that. And so then I just said, Lord, I don't know how to pray right now. Would you please just pray for me? Then that verse again, I will never leave you or forsake you, just started going over in my mind over and over and over again. And then it was the weirdest thing. It was like all of a sudden the room was just filled with the presence of God. And I mean, no words were spoken, no tears were shed, just this like consuming peace and joy. And I just felt like God was right there next to me. I mean, it is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life. Mm. And just kind of blows my mind to think that in the moment of one of the moments of most greatest, deepest suffering. God met me with the greatest joy and the greatest peace Mm. I've ever known. That's the kind of thing that makes you look forward to heaven. (laughs) And eventually I did wean off all the medication. And, but I, I, I struggled with, with depression and I struggled with fear of the future. I did not want to go on. I was scared to live life. I couldn't imagine life without pain. There wasn't a single part of life I could imagine without thinking about pain or processing how to manage pain. And so the idea of getting a job and or going to school or getting married or any of those things just terrified me. And I actually, I, I wanted to die. I wanted to just be done with it. First, I, I considered taking my own life. And I um, sat on the edge of my bed and I filled my hands full of a pile of pills. And again, God stop me. (laughs) I just imagined him saying, why didn't you believe me? I promised I would give you the strength and I promised I would be with you. Why didn't you believe me? And so I just poured all the pills back into the the bottle and I just called out to God and I prayed, Lord, I I don't have the strength. Just give me your strength because you promised that you will. (laughs) And he did. And so then, but then I did start praying that God would take me home and let me die. But then that didn't happen. (laughs) And so then I changed my prayer again and I started praying, okay, Lord, if I have to live, would you give me not only the ability to live, but would you give me the desire for it? Uh, It's really cool to see now how God answered that prayer because, but it was cool because then I started going to school got involved in ministry at my church. And one of the ministries was our church had a ministry in the jail where we went in and we did Bible studies with the inmates every Sunday. And I had kind of been interested in doing that for a long time, but was sort of afraid to. And then I just decided it was time. And I went in there and 
I shared my testimony with these girls, and it was like when I told them about being on pain medication and God giving me the strength to get off the stuff, these girls are sitting in jail, and they're going, oh, yeah, fentanyl, we've been fentanyl and hydrocodone and mm-hmm. oxycontin and, you know, like all this stuff. They knew all this stuff. And then to hear that God had given me the strength and the power to get off of it and to not become a drug addict. Yeah. I don't know. We'd be talking about certain things, and they're kind of like, La, la, la. And then I share my testimony and share what God had done with that. And it was like a hit home for him. Yeah. I just, I loved the jail ministry and I loved those girls. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I did that and I, I went to college and, and then I ended up uh, meeting my now husband and getting married. And it's like, God just gave me back a life and a joy for it. So, you know, to, to go into the jail ministry later and I'm sitting in there with these girls and I'm thinking, if it were not for God's grace, I would be right here with these girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of them, they were in there because of the drugs that I was on. Yep. A few years after I recovered, I wrote a letter of thanks to my doctors, my physical therapists, the pharmacists. I just wanted, I mean, they had been with us for so many years. Yep. And I just wanted to let them know how it turned out. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote them a letter of thanks. And it was interesting because my mom went in there like the day after they received my letter. And this pharmacist that we had gotten to know over the years, she said, yesterday, we were all so discouraged. We were just having a hard day. And we see people become addicted to these drugs all the time. Mm-hmm. And then we got Katie's letter. Mm-hmm. And we just stood around and cried because we used to stand in here and talk about how these drugs, how we didn't think she was going to make it. Mm-hmm. What happened down the road, my dad was diagnosed with melanoma cancer. These old fears popped up of, uh, this would be too hard. I don't have the faith for this. That seemed like the worst thing that could possibly happen, my dad dying. And, I mean, here it just shows you, (laughs) like, the lack of faith, you know? I mean, God had proven himself how many years, and then something else hard pops up you know comes up and I'm like questioning whether or not God will give me the faith the strength for it mm-hmm. but uh I I struggled with that and then after nine months of my dad battling cancer he he died and I stood next to him in the hospital room before he before he died that day and I just put my hand on his arm and I mean dad and I had walked me and my mom and dad all together had walked through years, so many years of suffering together. And my dad was like this rock of faith. I mean, he was always telling me, we don't have to understand. We just have to trust God. God knows. We don't have to know, but God knows. And so we will keep having faith and we will trust him. And he always pointed me back to Jesus, he always pointed me to Christ. And I stood there next to him, and I just thought about all the years of suffering God had put us through together. And so I just thanked him. (laughs) I just thanked him for teaching me how to suffer. And then I told him he was going to get to go be with Jesus soon. And I couldn't wait to meet him there, and that I loved him. And then I walked away from him, which was the most painful of all of the things, all the suffering I've ever been through, walking away from my dad was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I just stood there and just, before I stepped out of the hospital room, and cried and called out to God, pleaded more with God than I've ever. Lord, give me the strength, give me the strength to do this. And 
my probably favorite verse of the whole Bible. Isaiah 41.10, I think. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And that was God's promise to me. I knew God would give us the strength to move forward without doubt. And I love God so much more for the suffering he's allowed me to go through. Monumental is hosted by Katie Walker and Michael Crum. It is produced and edited by Nathan Alberson with help from Ben Salser. And it is executive produced by Nathan Alberson and Jake Mensel. If you like the show, please don't forget to rate and review. And if you're interested in more great content, including articles written by me and Michael, and even some of our guests, please visit warhornmedia.com.